Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. So I know a person who shall remain nameless in case they watch this message later by podcast. And um, they are addicted to infomercials. And so they will stay up late at night and watch infomercials and get sucked right into buying whatever crazy thing is on TV. For example, that mop, there's a mop and apparently it requires no work at all. It can clear away years of grime with absolutely no effort. And you can watch as his assistant demonstrates this simple process and then she sees that and then she buys that. Or maybe tonight it's the knife set. You know, the one that can cut through a metal can as if it's slicing through a tomato. And it has that no, no slip handle grip, so it's perfectly safe. So you can watch as this small toddler uses it to saw through his father's pickup truck. I mean, these are the things that you see on late night TV. And they make these outrageous claims. And some people just can't resist the offer. They get, they get a little bit sucked in to what's on TV. Well, today we're going to be talking about an offer that the Bible makes, except it's not too good to be true. It's 100% trustworthy and true. And it's available to everyone for only three easy payments of 39.90, just kidding, slashing prices. It's free. The Bible offers the gift of wisdom for free to anyone who asks for it. And so I wanna dive into Proverbs chapter three and look at some of the huge promises that the Bible offers to those who seek God for his wisdom. It says, never drift off course from these two goals in your life, to walk in wisdom and to discover discernment. For they strength, uh, don't ever forget how they empower you, for they strengthen you inside and out and inspire you to do what's right. You will be energized and refreshed by the healing they bring. They will give you living hope to guide you and not one of life's tests will cause you to stumble. You will sleep like a baby, safe and sound and your rest will be sweet and secure. You will not be subject to terror for it will not terrify you nor will the disrespectful be able to push you aside because God is your confidence in times of crisis, keeping your heart at rest in every situation. This text offers so many benefits to us if we seek God for wisdom. In fact, if you're not careful, you might actually think it's an infomercial because it's loaded with all these promises. Oh, to have that kind of rest, to have that kind of confidence, to, to know that not one of life's tests will cause us to stumble. And all of this, the Bible says, is available to us when we seek God's wisdom. Let's take a little bit more of a look at Proverbs 3 again. It says, those who find true wisdom and obtain tools for understanding the proper way to live, for they will have a fountain of blessing pouring into their lives. To gain the riches of wisdom is far greater than gaining the wealth of the world. 
As wisdom increases, a great treasure is imparted, greater than many bars of refined gold. It is a more valuable commodity than gold and gemstones, for there is nothing you desire that can compare to her. Wisdom extends to you a long life in one hand and wealth and promotion in the other. Out of her mouth flows righteousness and her words release both law and mercy. The ways of wisdom are sweet, always drawing you into a place of wholeness. Seeking for her brings the discovery of untold blessings. I mean, when I read about what happens when a person has wisdom, it makes me go, I must get wisdom in my life. I must get wisdom in my corner. So if it's so valuable, how do we actually do that? The Bible is very clear. Step one is we ask God for wisdom. I know that seems simplistic, but so often the simple steps in life are the ones that we, sk we skip over. The Bible tells us that we can ask God for wisdom at any time, that he's not annoyed when we ask him for wisdom. He's actually thrilled that we involved him and asked him for help. Solomon became the wisest man on the planet because he asked God to bless him with wisdom. And we can and, and we should ask God for wisdom on a daily basis. James chapter one, verse five says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So anytime any of us faces a decision, we can pray a very simple prayer. We can just say, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do in this situation. Make it clear to me what I need to be doing. Show me anything about this decision that I'm not seeing. A simple prayer like that, the Bible tells us God imparts to us the very wisdom that we need. It encourages us, the Bible does, to pursue that wisdom, to ask for it and ask for it daily. And this is something that I personally have decided to do since I was a young teenager. I began asking God, God, please give me wisdom. Please give me understanding. Please give me insight so that I can make good decisions in my life. And I just throw out that challenge. Make that a daily prayer that you pray. With everything else you're doing and praying, just pray that one sentence. God, give me wisdom. And when we pray that, we will find ourselves inevitably receiving the wisdom that we need for the situation. The Bible tells us that we should treat the pursuit of wisdom like a treasure hunt. Like we're on a treasure hunt searching for something of great value to us. Proverbs 2 says, tune your ear to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would for lost money or hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And when we do that, when we pursue that wisdom, when we seek after it and we ask for it on a daily basis, the Bible makes a huge claim I wanna highlight in verse nine. It says, then you will understand what is right, just, and fair. And you will know how to find the right course of action every time. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like when that comes true in our life, won't that feel great that we'll know what's right, just, and fair? And that we'll know the right course of action every single time? I mean, think about how many times in a day I pause and I think to myself, is this the right course? Is this what I should be doing? Is this really fair to my kids if I handle it? 
If we have God's wisdom, we are promised that we will begin to know the right course of action every time. I can't wait to be completely in that position, probably be in heaven, but I wanna take, I wanna take a small detour here and go back to that text, that Proverbs 2 that I just read, and I wanna highlight verse five for just a second. Verse five said, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Now, I think it's important to take a little detour here because this idea of fear the Lord. Now, I grew up in a church where I would have been taught that that should say to be afraid of the Lord. That I grew up in a church where even as a kid, I'd lay in bed at night straight as possible and I'd try to think of every wrong thing I had ever done that day and to apologize to God because I had been taught that God was deeply displeased with me, that he was mad about something and I better figure out what it was before I got in big trouble with him. And so when sometimes when people read verses like Proverbs 2, 5, where it says fear of the Lord, or they might read it as to be afraid of God. And I wanna caution against that because if you take the actual root word, the Hebrew word that gets translated into the English word fear of God or fear of the Lord, that word could also be translated as revere, honor, respect, or awe. And it's a huge difference to be taught as I was as a kid to be afraid of the Lord versus to revere the Lord. And God wants, he, does, he wants children, not prisoners awaiting execution. So if we're afraid of God and we're fearful of the Lord, then we're gonna withdraw from him. We're not gonna long for relationship with him. We're not gonna desire that connection. We will be afraid. But if we recognize that the translation of that verse is more wholly understood as revere the Lord, honor the Lord, respect the Lord, be in awe of the Lord, then we can come as children, as sons and daughters to his table and want that connection and want that fellowship with him. God gives us that opportunity. God gives us that choice to be able to come close to him. He doesn't want us to lie in bed at night awake and afraid of what's going on in our life. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So here we see it again, the fear of the Lord, but the Whenever I read fear of the Lord in the Bible, I, I automatically tell my brain, think reverence of the Lord, think honor of the Lord, think respect. Don't think, be afraid like you were when you were a kid. So there's my detour. The Bible tells Solomon, tells us that Solomon was the wisest man on all the earth. First Kings chapter 10, verse 23 says, so King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on the earth. And yet even with all of that wisdom, he still made some really bad decisions. And one of the reasons that he made some bad decisions is that he chose to take, get this, 1,000 wives and concubines. That's a horrible choice. That does not make sense at all. Um, I don't know why anyone would do that, but, but he did that and he had these thousand women. And not only that, many of them, the scriptures tell us, did not know our God. And they didn't fear our God or listen to our God, honor our God. And they instead led Solomon and his children into the worship of idols that were against God's plan. And as a result of that, Solomon made some bad decisions. In the end, in the Bible, he wrote this, Proverbs 14, he says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, 
it leads to death. So Solomon, even being the wisest man on earth, learned that we cannot just rely on what seems right or what is popular to make good decisions in our life. Solomon learned that that type of thinking actually leads to death rather than life. So how do we get wisdom in our corner? First, we ask God to just give us that wisdom. And secondly, we search the Bible for wisdom. Because what Solomon's saying is we can't just rely on our own understanding about things. There has to be a more objective system for deciding things. If we go on the path that, that God intended for us, then, then all of a sudden we could easily fall into the trap of thinking that we know better because we feel a certain way. And so many times people will make decisions based on how they feel, but our feelings are never an accurate compass by which we steer our life. Our feelings change. Our desires, if we wake up hungry, we could go on a whole other path in life. The Bible lets us know that we have to keep coming back to something that's true and objective. So at some point in all of this, Solomon got this squared away and he wrote in Proverbs chapter three, he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so the Bible and God's wisdom and finding it in the scriptures is the way that we stay on the path that God has made that straight. But one of the biggest concerns I hear from people, especially young people is, if I'm going to base my life on the Bible, how do I know that it's, that it's accurate? I need to be sure. And I, I agree, we absolutely need to be sure. And so if you wrestle with how strong is the authority and the reliability of the Bible, I challenge you, study that. There are many resources in our church bookstore on apologetics, the case for Christ, the case for faith, evidence that demands a verdict, amazing books that go through in exquisite detail how we know that the scriptures are completely reliable. But just a quick overview for the benefit of us all. The Bible is made up of 66 separate books and from a human perspective has 40 separate authors who were born over the span of 1500 years and lived on three separate continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And all of these authors, even though humanly they came from a massive spectrum of walks of life, some books were written in prison while others were written in a palace. There were tent makers, there were shepherds, there were kings, there were royal taste testers, there were military men, there was a medical doctor, a tax collector. There was a wide range of professions among those who wrote the Bible. And yet, even though there was no way over 1500 years that these men could have gotten together and conspired to agree to a certain line or theme or continuity between this book because they weren't even on the planet at the same time, there's an amazing unity found throughout scripture that is unmatched by any other body of written work. The fact is they could not have come together. And so when we look at the scriptures and we see what there is, then kind of the next question that arises that we ask ourselves is if it was written that way, how do we know over the centuries that it wasn't tampered with? How do we know that someone didn't get their agenda in there and, and manipulate or dilute the word or, or just flat change it to promote their own agenda? So here's some really cool stuff. We actually have as Christians worldwide, we have preserved in museums, universities, historical libraries around the planet, huge portions 
of ancient documents, fragments of the Bible written as early as 150 AD. Persons could go there and look at those fragments of documents and some documents, huge portions of documents and view that what is written in our Bible today is what was written and studied by Christians in the first and second centuries. And these aren't hidden. They haven't been lost. Of course, over you know, thousands of years, decay has occurred. And so on some, on most of the Old Testament is represented at minimum by fragments in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the book of Isaiah specifically, we have two copies that historians consider to be incredibly readably accurate today. Documents that are, that are aged and dated to have been somewhere between 250 BC and 150 BC. And we can compare like in the book of Isaiah, two copies, one is considered 75% intact and one is considered 100% intact. And they match what we have in our Bible, obviously translated into English, but they match the word for word, concept for concept that is found to be dated 150 BC. So we can be confident that the Bible is reliable. We also have early, early copies of the majority of the gospels that are dating right around 150 to 200 AD that are the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have fragments of every one of the Pauline epistles, which is the bulk of the second half of the New Testament that we can view, they're, they're on display and many are being scanned images onto the internet for people to view and know. And we have what is widely regarded as a complete Bible. All 66 books, the majority of the text completely intact that dates back to 325 AD that's on display and available for viewing. So all of these things gives us confidence that no one's putting their political agenda into the Bible, but the Bible has stood the test of time, even for thousands and thousands of years, and therefore is a trustworthy source by which we can measure truth and wisdom. Second Timothy chapter three says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Friends, it all comes down to this. Do I truly believe that God's wisdom And do I believe it's perfect? And do I trust him for it in my life? Because every human being has to solidify the answer to that question for themselves. And the core conviction cannot change from one situation to the next based on convenience. We have to decide. It doesn't matter how good something looks, how happy it might seem to make you, how fun, how rich or successful you might become, how deeply spiritual it might appear. If it is contrary to the wisdom and to the word of God, it is ultimately harmful and will bring sorrow to your life. And I urge you to just settle that, like settle that now and recognize that there is nothing good for us outside of the wisdom and the word of God. And so we, how do we get wisdom in our corner? We ask God for it. We search the Bible for wisdom. And the third thing we do is we gather wisdom from wise people around us. Proverbs 11 says, there is Where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So when we face a decision in our lives, we should seek the advice of others around us. 
with the intention of actually listening to them. And this verse is, is referring to the wise teachers, leaders, and experts in various fields. It's not referring to your crazy cousin that just agrees with everything that you're going to say. If you realize that you're facing a major life decision and you can't find the answer directly in the Bible, because of course not everything is addressed directly in the Bible, what do you do? You gather wise advice. You take some time to figure out who would be a respected expert in the field that this decision is overlapping with. So say you might go to books, you might go to articles, you might go to podcasts, you might go to um, read or study somehow, or you might rely upon conversations, all different methods to get this information. But if you're facing a decision and you need to know, these are some categories that pretty much without fail, you should ask for some advice on. It might be buying a house, switching jobs, purchasing a car, selecting a school for your child, deciding on a major course of medical treatment for some significant medical issue, joining the military, choosing a church, getting married, addressing a trauma in the life of a child. It might be choosing a new career path. All of these things we should never decide in a vacuum of isolation. We should always have people around us that are speaking truth in love to us and giving us wisdom from a variety of sources. And of course, no one person is an expert in all of these fields, but seeking that wisdom for a specific decision, we have to do some work to find who's gonna be the best person or the best resource to speak into what we are facing. So to choose an expert, what we need to look for to gather our multitude of counsel is, we need to have someone whose experience you respect in the field of your decision. So I tell teenagers, guys, don't listen to your broke friend about buying a car. They don't know. They have the worst advice. Don't go to them. You have to look for someone that's an expert and whose experience in the field you respect. So you may respect a person in one area of their life and feel like they've been successful, they've made wise choices in this area, but they might have no experience whatsoever in another area. For, from time to time, teenagers will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Jail, I'm thinking about joining the military. And I say, that's awesome, how honorable. Please talk to someone else besides me because I have no wisdom in that area. I do not know anything about how they should sign up other than they need to get wisdom from someone else. But there are tons of veterans in this room that could give students a huge amount of insight into how to sign up for the military correctly and what benefits to make sure that they receive in doing so. So not any one person is gonna be an expert in any field. So we need to make sure that the person we're asking the question to has some experience in the field and is respectable in that exact field. The next one is we need to make sure that the person loves God and understands biblical principles. The reason for this is that God speaks to us through other believers. He, he puts words of encouragement and, and statements of faith into speech between believers that will cause us to make different and better decisions when we collaborate and seek advice from other believers. Now, sometimes the other reason is sometimes a God move the very thing God is nudging us to do will make no sense to someone who has no relationship with God. They, they would never recommend that or suggest that because it's a God move, it's a faith leap, and that is gonna always be outside of their field of expertise. Now, if you have a decision that you're facing and you need wisdom, is it wrong to seek advice from an unbeliever? No, 
You absolutely can if you consider them an expert in every other way, but just pause and ask God, how does their advice correlate with scripture? How does their advice correlate with what you want for me? You have to add like an extra filter if you choose to do that. The third thing I'd throw out there is make sure the person that you're bringing into your multitude of counsel is someone that has your best interest at heart. You don't wanna ask someone that has a secret agenda or someone that would benefit by your demise. You wanna ask someone, of course, that genuinely loves and cares about you. Or if it's like an expert situation, then it might be a scenario where you're just asking someone that at least has no bias uh, to see you fail in any way or bias in convincing you one way or the other. When we ask for advice, we have to be willing to listen even when that advice contradicts what we feel. Sometimes what we hear from the people we're asking is gonna go against what we want to do. And we have to make a decision before we even seek advice. If this person comes back at me with something that is not what I'm feeling, then what am I gonna do? And that is a difficult position. I try hard to get myself in the frame of mind when I'm asking someone for advice to make sure if, they, if they're going the opposite direction out of love and alignment with scripture, then I have to be cautious enough to listen and factor in what, what they're saying to me. I wanna challenge us all, just be open when seeking wisdom and be flexible to wisdom's leadings because the Bible tells us that wisdom is calling out to us daily. That wisdom, wisdom is yelling and, and sharing its advice to us and we have to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. So as I've been preparing this message throughout the week, I've had this, this burden on my heart for members of our church family. And I don't know if it's maybe you that I've been burdened for, and maybe you're the one that's facing a significant decision. And you're looking at that decision from all different angles and you're trying to figure out what are you going to do? And if you were gut level honest, you may be one that you're saying, well, what I was planning on deciding doesn't actually match the standard of wisdom that I've shared with you this morning from God's word. Maybe as you've been making that decision in your own mind and heart, you realize I haven't actually prayed about the decision I'm making. I haven't actually stopped and prayed and asked God. And then I would challenge you, pray, stop. Stop the process and ask God to impart wisdom and show you anything that you might not be seeing. Maybe what you're intending to do doesn't really match up with God's word. And if that's the case, or you're not sure if it's the case, stop and go seek out what does the Bible say about the issue that you're facing. And maybe what you're thinking about doing doesn't agree with some of the people in your life that you truly recognize, love you, and are experts and you respect in the field of the decision you're making. And all of these things should send up red flags to us to challenge us to slow down that decision-making process to stop and to search ourselves and to make sure that what we're about to decide really lines up with God's word and really lines up with what is ultimately best for us. Because there are people in this room this week that are making a decision that's gonna affect them for years to come. And I wanna challenge you to make sure that decision is deliberate and that decision is wise. And the way we do that is just by going with our first point, we ask God for wisdom. So if you would, I'd love to pray with you and ask God to impart to us all the wisdom that we need for the decisions that we face this week. God, we know that you're the source, that ultimately we don't find what we need outside of you. We only find it within you. 
And you're so generous and you bless us. And God, we ask right now that you would pour out into the lives of every single one in our church family, this increase of wisdom, that we would have wisdom to know what is right and to be able to find the right course of action, that we'd have wisdom to, to be at peace and to be refreshed and to be strengthened. God, that you would give us wisdom in managing our families and managing our jobs and managing our resources and raising our children and living in our marriages. God, show us what is the right course of action. Show us how to be wise. And God, we caution ourselves and we confess to you that we will slow down and we will make time to ask you and to read your word and to seek out wise advice in our lives so that we can make good choices. God, we love you and we want what you want for our lives. And we know and recognize that we need wisdom from you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for being here, church family. We will see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.